Well, brothers and sisters, community, as we've been hearing, is a precious and beautiful gift from God. It comes from a God who delights to call himself the friend of mere mortals. God makes friendship with mortals, with sinners who have sinned against him. We recall Abraham was a friend of God. This beautiful gift of companionship, of community, is seen in every facet of human relationship. Marriage, when it approximates the pattern of the gospel, demonstrates the beauty of community. Human friendship, when it is deeply rooted in the gospel of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit, shines forth the beauty of community that God has designed for humanity, and more particularly for his people, the church. The harmonious relationship between parents and children as it reflects the order that God intended shines forth that that brilliance and the beauty of community and companionship as well. The Bible speaks about the beauty, the aesthetics of human relationship and community as it reflects the wisdom of God. This is where the preacher brings us this morning to consider the beauty of community and companionship as God intended it, as a remnant of paradise, and then restored by grace and and magnified and beautified by the Holy Spirit. And so our text this morning sets before us the beauty of community as worth pursuing, drawing us from the isolation of sin to reflect the community and fellowship that is in God and to live out the wisdom of community that is contained in the scripture here this morning. There are three things that we want to consider about the beauty of community. First of all, its principle as the preacher lays it out. There's a principle here in the text that controls community and companionship in all of life. Solomon says, two are better than one in verse 9. Two are better than one. This is the mathematics of human relationship and community, where it's a given that two are always better than one. This principle is understood more clearly when considered against the backdrop of verses 7 and 8. Against the backdrop of what Solomon says there regarding the vanity of individualism. Solomon pictures here a person who is utterly alone. Let's read those verses again. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. So here is the one that he speaks about in verse 9. He's alone. He hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. It is a sore travail. Individualism is vanity. It's emptiness. To live in isolation from one another is sore travail. The individualistic man has no companions. He has no heir. He's only concerned about amassing wealth and fortune. And at the end of his life, he asks this question, who have I worked for? He's spending it all on himself and for himself. It's an empty life. Individualism flies in the face of the way that God has created us to be. What we have here in verses 7 and 8 is really an echo 
of God's own words as he observed Adam all alone in the garden. It is not good that man should be alone. Solomon takes that and he applies it here in the context of companionship and community. And in order to address that aloneness, God said, I will make Adam and help meet for him. Someone who is perfectly compliment, uh, someone that perfectly compliments him. But the point is this, we were not created to live alone in isolation from one another. Notice that I'm not saying this morning that singleness is vanity. Some of us are called to singleness. For some of us, that singleness is a, a painful uh, reality. The struggle to contentment is a daily challenge. And yet the scripture commends singleness for wholehearted devotion to God, 1 Corinthians 7. But this morning, we need to understand the key distinction between singleness and individualism. Individualism is the pursuit of being alone for the sake of being alone. It's a selfish desire to be alone so that we don't have to bother with the hard work of living in relationship with other sinners. But singleness is a calling from God to live without a spouse. But singleness does not mean that you live in isolation. Rather, singleness often craves and expresses the need for community in other contexts, cultivating close friendships with other brothers. Relationships within the church, close and intimate spiritual relationships. So there's a key difference here between singleness and individualism. And so against the backdrop of the vanity of individualism and isolation, we learn of the beauty of companionship when Solomon says two are better than one. So there's inherent virtue in cultivating relationships with other people within marriage, within families, within the church, at work, and other contexts. What this principle proves is that God has created us to be in community with one another. By intentionally living in community then with one another in different spheres of life, you are taking this biblical wisdom that the preacher is laying down here, this principle, and showing the world, a world that often lives in isolation from one another, that two are better than one. What better picture, what better place to learn this principle than in the church? When we live this way, we're showing the virtue of living in community within the church, within a godly marriage, within gospel friendships, and within seminary life. By living out this principle of wisdom, there is profit to gain. That's the second thought this morning, the profit of community. The individualist profits tangibly by amassing a fortune of riches, but the inherent virtue of companionship shows the inherent value of companionship. Those who live in community with one another reap enormous profits that our text outlines. And so often we miss out on these benefits of living in companionship and community and covenant with one, with one another because of our culture's heavy emphasis on isolation, on individualism. Because we've learned the effects of sin, that sin drives us into isolation. 
And every time sin drives us into isolation, we're missing the rich reward that God has in store for those who live in community with one another. The first aspect of this profit of community is the reward that's expressed in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. This reward for their labor is contrasted with the miserable fortunes of the individualist. Well, what is that good reward of, of community? The profit that we reap as a reward. There's the joy, isn't there, of, of working and living side by side in community, enjoying the intangible reward of being together in your labor. I don't think I need to remind you that seminary is a place where we sharpen each other in theological discussion, in spiritual conversations. Treasure that as you're here, because the opportunity may never come again in the ministry. A ministry which often finds this very idea of isolation inherent to it. Though it's not right. But treasure those conversations that you have here. They sharpen you for a lifetime. The reward goes with you into your ministry. As you think back to those conversations. How they've sharpened your mind and your heart to equip you even now for labor in the future. You work together in growing your relationship in the Lord. There is the reward of seeing each other grow in Christ-likeness. Intangible to be sure, but a reward nonetheless. There's the joy of working together towards the common goal of pursuing Jesus, both individually but also together. In friendships that are grounded in shared passions for life and a spiritual bond in the blood of Christ, there is the reward of of enjoying life that God has created and gifted to us. There's the element of mutual encouragement. As we read in the book of Acts in the community of believers at Pentecost, they had all things in common, not just the spiritual bond, but all the physical aspects of their life was shared. They shared their goods with one another. They shared freely of their physical bounty, the reward of their physical labor. We need to remember that in the context of community, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so there is a reward for living in community with each other. But there's also rescue that comes from living in community and companionship. In verse 10, we read, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. There's an element of mutual assistance that is inherently found in true community. When you know each other well, you will learn to read each other well. When one person then is weak and struggling, and you're reading that person correctly, you can come alongside them and help them. Whether it's emotionally or spiritually, you can come alongside and encourage them. They're down, you come, come alongside, you lift them up. In the community of the saints, when one of you falls into sin, the other can be there to minister rescuing grace and point the other back to Christ, to our hope of righteousness in him. 
In the context of the church, there's often the spiritual vitality and energy of the, the younger generation that feeds into the older generation and encourages them. And the reverse is also true. The, the wisdom and life and spiritual experience of the aged feeds back into the younger generation and helps them and grounds them. And so each preserves the other in this, this tension of community on a practical, physical level within human relationships in the community of the church. It could very well mean that you will actually physically pick each other up and help each other as the body weakens. If you think of that aged person that's all alone in a nursing home, their children are scattered throughout the country. I've, I've met plenty of those in nursing homes in this city. No one there, discouraged, down, no one to accompany them, no one to pick them up. And as old age sets in, the weakness of the body, they may fall physically with no one there to help them up. Loneliness, physical sickness, infirmity. Within community, there is this this picking up. When we know each other well, we can help each other well to experience this prophet of rescue. And so the beauty of godly companionship and community provides a means of rescue for each other that individualism cannot. Indeed, Solomon pronounces a woe on the person who is alone when they fall. Just think to the back to the beginning of this year when my grandmother was still alive in the Netherlands. She had fallen in her bedroom. She had lived alone yet. The call button that she normally wore around her neck was on her night table. She fell beside her bed. She couldn't get up. And it was hours before my aunt finally came and found her laying on the floor. But that illustrates, doesn't it, the reality of individualism, of living in isolation. When we're living alone, there's no one there to help us, no one to speak into our lives. And so there is this reward of rescue. When a person falls, whether physically or spiritually. But there's also the prophet of relief. We live in a harsh world. Solomon says two is better than one. Verse 11, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? The picture here is of traveling in the desert, two companions. During the day, the desert is blazing hot. During the night, the desert is is extremely cold. So when the two traveling companions lie back to back, they can provide warm relief for one another. Philip Riken comments. He says, this is not just good travel advice, but wisdom for the soul. There is spiritual warmth in going through life with other believers. It's easy to grow cold in the Christian life, to become numb to the work of God. But the heat of another Christian can warm us up. Maybe we've heard the illustration before of of the man who stopped going to church. The pastor came to visit him. And on the hearth, there was a, a coal of fires. And without speaking, the pastor went to that, that coal of fire and he, he took out a glowing coal. And he set it aside from the rest of the coals and before long, The ember had died out. The coal had grown cold. 
And he says, my brother, this is what's happening to you by removing yourself from the fellowship and community of the saints. You're growing cold. And so this spiritual wisdom here is clear and beautiful. In the coldness of the world in which we live, we need each other to encourage each other, to warm each other, to fan the embers of faith in one another's hearts as we walk along in the Christian life. How often isn't it true? Our hearts are cold as we approach communal prayer time or the prayer meeting at church. But somehow we, we get ourselves there, not really expecting a blessing, but then we walk away. Our hearts are warmed and encouraged as we sat under the ministry of the saints praying together. A sweet encouragement, a sweet warming of one another as we minister to each other. Maybe this morning you weighed the benefits of going to chapel. You came, and I pray you come away with a blessing for your soul, or you struggle with going to corporate worship in the morning, a Sunday morning. Maybe you're single. You struggle with being alone. You don't want to be with other people, but you go anyway. You begin to sing. You listen to the singing, the ministry of the saints, as we sing to God and sing to one another, ministering to each other. Our hearts become engaged in worship. We, we listen to the word and we come away blessed and strengthened. We speak to other people after church. The fears of being alone or fears of being with other people forgotten as we, as we engage in fellowship with other people. The words having ministered balm to our hurting souls or a word in season from a fellow brother or sister, a believer who has encouraged us to plod on. You see, there are no metrics by which to measure the effects of community, but we know them intuitively when we experience them. So there's something experiential about community, about being engaged in it and then reaping the reward, reaping the profit reaping the relief that comes from the pressures of life that emphasize individualism. And so there is a a profit here of relief to help each other, to relieve from temptation, to relieve from loneliness, to be ministered to within the community of believers. There's one more benefit that flows from this profit of community. That's reinforcement. It's stated in verse 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Speaking of opposition, how you and I need this benefit in the Christian life, in the the life of the ministry, in preparation for the ministry. We need the protection to withstand against temptation. I often think of Jesus sending out the apostles two by two. And I encourage you that if you are a solo pastor in a church to make use of your elders so that there is a community built within the leadership of the church that you can feel vulnerable and be able to share with your elders what's going on. Build friendships with elders. Build friendships within the church so that you're not led into isolation. 
Sometimes ministers warn against friendships within the church. But I want to encourage you this morning to find friendships within the church. They are incredibly enriching. I have one elder who periodically says, I'm going to send you some dates for breakfast. Pick a date and we'll meet just to be together, just to develop a friendship, just to share what's on my heart. Struggles with family life, struggles with my own personal life. He listens and he prays. And I do the same for him. Mutual encouragement through mutual friendship, protecting one another against attacks from within and without. You see, there's nothing like knowing that your friend, your spouse, your pastor, your professor has your back to protect each other, to pray for each other, to stand together against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6 comes to mind here. It's not simply a call to individual battle. It's a call to corporate battle, to protect each other. You see, the the devil is the great enemy of the community of the saints. His tactics is to isolate sheep and then pick them off and destroy them. He's a wolf. He wants to bring you into isolation this morning so that you will fall. He wants to make you vulnerable to attacks. But here we have the wisdom, the wisdom of God that says you're to protect each other. Two shall withstand him. Remind each other of the gospel, of the promises. Constantly bringing each other into the place of safety in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's where our text brings us this morning. To the unseen companion that every relationship needs. And we see that in our third thought, the perfection of community. The beauty of companionship is restated in the last phrase of verse 12. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is not a new principle. But it's a restating, it's an expanding, and a perfecting of the first principle that we saw at the beginning of the message. There we saw two is better than one. And now Solomon says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Wisdom's math tells us that three is is better than two. This is the law of larger numbers, Riken says. By adding a third strand to this cord, he says, the preacher is making a simple point that for everything from work to warfare, three people are even better than two. This is the law of larger numbers. Some people think that if this principle is applied to marriage, and this text is often preached at weddings, then it refers to the birth of children. Others think that it simply means more people means more community, which means more profit from the relationships. Well, both of these things are not entirely false, but I believe it refers to the divine participation in our relationships in order to arrive at the perfection of the first principle. It means that God needs to be factored into our relationships. And this keeps us, this hedges us about, doesn't it, from pursuing relationships only for the sake of relationships. Our community is designed to factor God into it. This is the perfection of this wisdom here. 
regarding community. How beautiful community becomes when, when God is at the very center of our relationships. Then indeed, three is better than two, four is better than three, and so on. But the point is that God needs to be at the center. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be at the center of our community. And why is that? Well, the gospel reminds us, doesn't it, that Christ suffered. He suffered isolation and alienation. Not because he sought it for himself, like the individualist. But he sought it out on behalf of sinners like you and me to draw you into fellowship with himself and with his people. He wants you and me to understand that he gave himself to alienation from God and man, suspended between heaven and earth, to draw us back into fellowship with God, to restore this principle that was in perfection in paradise, to restore this communion and community with God himself. And in light of that, he wants us to understand the, the vacuousness, the emptiness of life in isolation from him. We can pursue community all we want, but if it's without God, we're still living in isolation from him. We're still living without the perfection of this principle of practical wisdom. Without Christ, there is no fulfillment in mere human relationship. On a human level, sure. But to experience the true beauty of community and companionship, we need this threefold cord. We need the divine aspect of community. Human companionship and community is sweet. Between two or more people. But it's sweeter still when Christ is, is factored in and is the center of our community. The third strand of this threefold cord provides durability to our community and companionship. With him at the center and our common lives intertwined with his, you can face the future. You can navigate the changes of life. You can handle the challenges of seminary and ministry. You can handle the challenges when human relationships break down. The true beauty of companionship can only be understood from the perspective of Christ at the center of community. He promises in Matthew 18, verse 20, that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he will be in the midst of them. Maybe the rejoinder of theological students is, well, this is in the context of church discipline. That's exactly right. Read Matthew 18 and see where discipline begins. It begins with discipling one another within the community of the church. When that discipling fails, then formal discipline takes place. But it's there within the context of the church, discipling and disciplining that Christ is present, enhancing and perfecting the community of the saints. Elsewhere, Jesus is described as the friend of sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen, Luke seven thirty four. Three is indeed better than two when the third strand of our community is Christ. This is for every aspect of our lives. Whether we live in community with one or more persons, we need Christ at the center of our lives. If you're alone 
this morning, pursuing the life of the individualist, then the gospel speaks to you this morning that Christ is a friend of sinners. He's able to draw you out of that isolation. If you're engaged in sin, that's driven you back into isolation and alienation from God and from his people, from his body. The gospel calls you to return, to repent of your sin, to come out of your isolation, to hear the voice of God and say, Adam, where are you? You see, that was the very first question to Adam and Eve in the garden. They isolated themselves from God. They pointed the finger at each other. But the question of God to Adam and Eve was this, where are you? Brothers and sisters, where are you this morning? Christ is the friend of sinners. He's able to make this principle true again in greater ways than we've experienced to this point in our fellowship. He's able to make this principle true and perfect that principle that two are better than one and three are better than two. He's not a fair weather friend. He's a friend for all seasons. He shares the reward of his labor He gives you life in his blood, communion in his blood. Isn't that what we remember at the the Lord's table? This is the communion of the blood of Christ. He, He richly gives his reward to us so that we might commune with him and with his body. He provides the warmth of fellowship with himself in a cold and cruel world. He's the one who defends us giving us his armor in the midst of the battle against sin, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of despondency and doubt and isolation. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the best companion a man could ever have. He transforms our lives, our relationships, so that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would know the beauty of this companionship and this community, living out the wisdom of the preacher this morning and beyond. Not just knowing that two are better than one, but that with Christ, three are better than two. This is the beauty of community and companionship. It's worth pursuing because it's a gift a rich and beautiful gift perfected by God in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are grateful for thy word, which directs us, which leads us, which instructs us to pursue not only community with one another, but to pursue community with you through Christ. We are grateful for the gospel that reminds us of the alienation and isolation that Christ has suffered so that we might be drawn into fellowship with you again. Lord, we pray that you will forgive the sins of individualism. Forgive the sins that have driven us into isolation. Thank you, Lord, that you come in the gospel again to draw us out, to say, where are you? To draw us into fellowship and community with you. May we experience that as we go forward from this place, as we mingle with one another over lunch and with the pastors and elders of the HRC, as we meet them for lunch. We pray for a blessed time of fellowship and community. 
We ask all this now, the forgiveness of all our sins. For Christ's sake alone. Amen.